Hey there, welcome to Money Never Sleeps, a podcast that looks inside the head of entrepreneurs and at what makes them do what they do. I'm Pete Townsend from Norio Ventures, your co-host of Money Never Sleeps, along with Owen Fitzgerald. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is kindly sponsored by Ireland's fintech and financial services recruitment specialist, Top Tier Recruitment. If you or a colleague need help attracting and retaining great talent for your fintech or financial services company, it is highly advisable that you build a relationship with the team at Top Tier Recruitment as they really know their stuff. You can find them at toptierrecruitment.com and tell them we sent you. This week, we've got another Money Talk special segment with a comeback kid, Owen Fitzgerald, helps me dig into a few of the things that happened in the past week in tech, venture deals, and the topics we generally cover in our day jobs. So let's just get right to it with this week's episode of Money Never Sleeps. Money Never Sleeps, pal. Here we go again. Welcome to Money Never Sleeps. We're recording today from the home studio. And in this episode, we're looking at three pieces of content from this week that are relevant to us in this cosmic cloud of startups and enterprise that we operate in. And hopefully, it's also important to all of you, our faithful listeners. We've got Owen Fitzgerald back again this week. How are you doing today, bro? Pretty good. I'm tired. It's been a long day, uh, but I've been looking forward to catching up and having a chat. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been, um, you know, I, I'm getting used to not spending much time outside of the house, but it's just really not healthy not leaving the house at all on any given day, is it? I know. And you know what I find, and you probably find the same, obviously, trying to work and with kids. By the end of the day, like I've, I've loads of books here uh, that, I really want, uh, that I've ordered or I'm halfway through reading, but actually just the energy levels for sitting down and then reading a book at the end of the day. Sometimes I'm just like, no. No, it'll put <laughs> you right to sleep. I'm, I'm watching Netflix or something. You know? Absolutely. So, all right. Well, we're going to take a look at three. Um, this is all on the theme of challenger banks and not only just in the context of startups, but also at the enterprise level. And the big news from earlier this week, actually, it was late last week, um, was that RBS axed their digital bank bow, right? And that was reported by TechCrunch uh, on the 1st of May. So that would have been Friday last week. Um, also, a bunch of other outlets, but um, I just picked this one from TechCrunch because uh, it seems to be the most interesting one. So, Bo was the digital bank developed by RBS slash NatWest. It is to shutter uh, just six months after launching publicly and gathering 11,000 customers. Um, the incumbent bank's consumer challenger brand, it was their attempt to build a startup within a larger bank. And in the longer term, compete with trendy upstart banking apps, as reported by TechCrunch, including those such as Monzo, Revolut, Starling, and others. Um, the bank plans to focus on Metal, which is its small business banking challenger brand, which is the author Steve O'Hear reported had already begun to assimilate Bo after the two respective teams were moved into the same building. I know, and I think the world knows because it's public information, that Metal came out of a partnership between 11FS uh, and RBS in 2019 uh, that they had been working on for uh, at least, I think, 12 to 18 months. Um, so 11FS must be pretty happy to see Metal take the lead within RBS in terms of their challenger brands. But um, you know, they're consolidating the two. They had already done a bit of a consolidation with um, the acquihire of the loot team, uh, which was kind of a millennial slash student geared uh, challenger bank app. I, I think we've we've seen this before. We're going to see it again. What, what, what do you think about it, Owen? Yeah, I mean, this this is an interesting one because this one didn't get off to a good start anyway. I mean, aside from anything else, they launched the brand and said, oh, here's a name that's uh, unique to the world. And everyone was like, well, no, it's the Irish for cow. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you're like, you're, you're paying somebody in marketing to come up with a brand name. You know? uh, it, I no, was thinking it, like cash cow. Like, no, yeah, Does yeah, that, that, it didn't really work. No, but I mean, uh, so they brought in uh, CEO. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Mark Bailey. Yeah. So, I mean, he left after two months. So there seemed to be some sort of power thing going on. And then obviously they, I thought I thought they made a really smart move by bringing in Ollie Perdue and the guys from Loot, which didn't work out. Um, but I mean, he left also and they brought in a lot of that team. But I mean, when he was optimistic, there was what, four, at some point in the last couple of years, there were 44 applications for Challenger Bank licenses. 44. Yeah. This one to me was was on was going to be something that we're going to see happening anyway, uh, specifically on Bow, and then you know it points to a wider issue with the market and, and these types of companies that you know can you build a bank within a bank or outside of a bank or connected to a bank or you know at a certain point management is going to have to make a choice and clearly in this case they made a choice to get rid of Bow. Eleven thousand customers is nothing in the scheme of things when you compare it to what you know the Revoluts and the Monzos have. They probably didn't see the numbers ramping up. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, you know, they spent $100 million on this, right? Uh, that's a lot of money. And it, well, it, sorry, it, it is absolutely. But in the scheme of things, from an internal or from a large, you know, multinational bank and the money it would spend on the tech side of things, it's probably not that much from their point of view. Oh, yeah, from their point of view. But imagine what like a talented fintech team could build with $100 million in six oh, yeah. months. Yeah. Huge. Um, and, you know, I, I think being being within the confines of a regulated bank, they have all different types of compliance requirements they need to meet with each build. They have all different types of quality control, which is a good thing, but can really slow yeah. you down. And it, all those kinds of people are really costly. Right? I think so, it's like, I think it's, it's the culture and it's the, you know, the buy-in from senior management, because the reality is you're creating this uh, alternative bank to target certain types of customers, but you're like effectively shutting one off from the other. So Bo can't go after the normal customers. And then the rest of NatWest slash RBS can't then go after the types of customers that Bo should go after, but yet they're all customers the same. Yeah, that that's the problem with these things, right? And, you know, I, I've read, and as have a bunch of people, um, The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen, and I've read it twice. And I talk about this quite frequently, and I've talked about it on this podcast before. The, the main lesson from that book is that when corporates are trying to be disruptive with innovation and new brands, new challenger things that they're doing, go set it up as a satellite to the mothership and keep it far enough away so that you're not really infecting um, that satellite with all of the things that have slowed down the mothership over the years. And, and beyond that, it's, it's just a conflict of, in, conflict of interest, in my opinion, in that you've got the business development people, the product management people, the marketing people that are all get their bonuses out of the mothership every year based upon yep. new, new accounts being opened, new customers, uh, new credit lines. Uh, never mind Wells Fargo. We won't even get into that, right? But <laughs> how can you, like, like you said, how can you, where do you draw the line? Right between okay, you can go after these customers, but our challenger brand needs to go after these other customers, and that's that just doesn't seem right, you know. Um, so I, I'd say just, you know, what is it that you actually really want with this challenger brand? It's not necessarily the challenger brand; it's the functionality, right? It's the app, 
It's everything that you get from the experience that keeps you surprised and delighted over and over again. Do you need to really go set up a brand new challenger brand to do that as a big bank? No, just make your app better. Yeah, well, there's that. But I suppose what you what they want to be able to do is they want to be able to launch this bank on the side that can do all of the stuff that the big bank wants to do, but do it quicker and better. So I worked in an unnamed German bank um, and we proposed a piece of work to a, uh, like a very large customer around a kind of dashboard for managing accounts, monitoring accounts globally. And, that was, and they loved it. And we said, great, well, come back to us in two years when we build it for you. And yeah. it's that sort of thing. So like, you know, the, the issue is transforming your existing bank because the reality is it just, I don't think it works if you kind of try to build it and have it attached to it. You know, it, like you said, it needs to be far enough at arm's length that they can't have much say over it to a degree. But if you're trying, if you're still trying to keep it very much attached to your big bank, then the reality is, it's just, I don't think it's going to work out. And I think you're better off trying to just focus on transforming your business so that actually you, as the as the bank, can adapt and roll out those products and be able to do things better and faster instead of just trying to like bolt on this thing on the side that's supposedly going to do everything greater. Yeah, and I wonder what the you know the over under is. Is that still right from my American football days? Have I lost that much touch? Was it under over or over under? Over under. No, you'd have over, to under. Expl- explain you. that what exactly that means because I, I I do when I'm following American football, I always hear it mentioned. I'm like, uh, is that like what they have to score by or they have to score you, more than those points? You know, for you to you, win the bet or whatever. You, you, yeah, you, you can, you could place a bet on whether the combined score of the two teams is either over or under a certain amount, okay. right? Okay. You know, so, um, but the the over under really to get back to this <laughs> on how many corporate clients that RBS slash NatWest brought through the Bow office as a kind of petting zoo type experience, yeah for these big corporate clients to get this warm, fuzzy feeling that RBS slash NetWest were a really innovative, forward-thinking bank. It's like, look, we're launching you know, our own challenger brand, right? And listen, I, I don't know Alison Rose, the CEO. I feel like I'm slagging her a bit, so I'm going to step back from that, <laughs> from that line of thought. I'm just going to let that one lie. And I think, you know, I, like she said in the article, it was, listen, we're prioritizing, right, on where we choose to invest. And this is a place where we choose not to invest anymore. So, and I think, like I said, and it comes back to then, you know, choosing to invest like 100 million in the scheme of what their tech uh, costs would be every year is probably very little. I know, but that's the problem, right? That's the problem with big bank. And banks aren't going to be able to get away from this. You can't just change a bank's technology platform um, in three or four years. You can't do it. And everyone nope. that is coming at this, from a fintech angle in the last five to 10 years, they have the benefits of being based on 2010 to 2015 to 2018 grade technology, right? Which is yep. just completely different than the banks that are operating on platforms that are an average age of 37 years old, right? You're just you're just not going to get there. So, you know, I, I think trying to compare the two too much um, is difficult, but you can actually... You know, I think what Alison Rose did here is, you know, let's fail fast, which is Startup 101 as yeah. well, right? So, yeah. But, but I, I do think it. it matters what you're like, where you're focusing on, because I think, you know, th- this one is more interesting than some of the other ones, like JP Morgan shut down Finn earlier yeah. this year, I think it was. Like, this one is more interesting because they're choosing to keep metal going. 
So like if you think about it from a bank's point of view, like really what are they trying to do here on the challenger side? They're just trying to keep up with the times and be cool like, you know, all of the other cool challengers out there. And they're trying to make sure that they're still seen in the same degree to a different type of consumer. But realistically, you know, by keeping the likes of metal, they're really just what they're doing is bringing some innovation, but not a huge amount of innovation to, you know, the corporate customers. Because ultimately those guys, those guys are going to stay with you anyway. You when know, I saw yeah. it, I saw it I saw it in previous work whereby you know you can you go to your large corporate customer and you're like oh we've made this slight change things and now you can get your like uh, doc your you know uh, statements online and we're not printing them and posting them to you and they're like oh that's great because I'm not going to move from you Mr Big Bank anyway yeah no I know what you mean and and if you think about that from that angle which is a really good point Owen that would you rather be a uh, a business banking customer of metal right, which is backed by RBS, or of Revolut, right, and Revolut business. I know from experience um, that I would pick metal seven days a week and twice on Sunday, right? So, you know, for my business account, for my personal spending and moving back and forth, you know, between currencies, absolutely, Revolut's brilliant. Um, But, you know, not from a business perspective yet. They've got a long way to go. On that note, um, Revolut- Segway there. Like thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> if there's one thing I learned from the 11FS guys in doing podcasts with them a couple of years ago, it was the segue, right? The Rev- Revolut is on the hunt for acquisitions. And this was in the FT today, uh, Wednesday, the 6th of May, as we're recording this. They're looking to use some of the proceeds from its recent $500 million fundraising to buy rival technology companies that have been hit by the coronavirus pandemic. So they raised $500 million from investors in February, valuing them at $5.5 billion, which is a nice big chunky number. That's a funny thing about these big valuations. You, know, you can't actually cash out at that point. It's a completely illiquid asset because yeah. um, if you tried to, the value would drop considerably. But away from that, uh, Nick Staronsky, uh, who's the CEO of Revolut, said that they're targeting deals in areas such as travel aggregation, which was a surprise to me. Uh, when I read it, but when I thought about it, it it got me thinking, and that would allow Revolut customers to buy flights or rent cars through the Revolut app when travel restrictions are finally lifted, and who knows when that will be. We had to cancel a family holiday to the States coming up in July because we just don't know when we're going to be able to leave Ireland, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so so the, the, if I'm thinking about the budget for that, a lot of aggregators must, must be thinking a lot of big world issues. Anyway, a lot of them are in trouble at the moment, you know, and Nick Staronsky said we could probably purchase one and sell flight tickets at cost and be 10 to 15% cheaper than everyone else. So this is kind of weaving in a very interesting direction. When they said buy some rival technology companies, I immediately thought of an aqua hire for a crypto wallet that uh, was incredibly innovative and that the founding team couldn't commercialize and sell, right? Yeah. Uh, so, but they're looking at the travel side. What do you think of all this? I, I, that one was unexpected. Because like the play here, obviously, with the with the revolutes and others, is to bring more things into your ecosystem within your app, more partners. So, like, I mean, on one hand, yes, it makes sense. There's clearly lots of good deals and opportunities out in the market. I mean, you only have to think. You reference Expedia, and obviously, they've raised a lot of money recently from the likes of Silver Lake. Like Silver Lake are going into deals left, right, and center. They're they're effectively becoming the new Berkshire Hathaway by getting it in, or a lot of companies where the value has dropped hugely, so they're getting a really nice deal. So it makes a lot of sense that Revolut and others should be raising what is effectively a war chest then to go out and uh, 
purchase really nice add-on businesses. I was surprised at the travel aggregation one, but I suppose maybe it's just that they're looking at, okay, well, what, what particular space is, can we get a really good deal? And that would be one of the first ones you'd look at. You know, I would imagine the, the Expedias and the Booking.com and all these sort of ones are under a lot of pressure. And it's probably a good deal to be had. And it's a case of, well, you know, we could get that now. So why don't we get it and see if we can figure out what we can do with it? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. And it, to me, this feels like it's all about timing, right? It's that Expedia had just raised themselves $3.2 right? And it's like they did that just by chance in February. They've been working on it, obviously, for a number of months. Yep. You know, they're they're going to be fine. But, you know, let's look at some of the others like Travelocity, Orbitz, Priceline.com. You know, they're going to probably be in some kind of trouble and you can pick them up at a cheap price. You know, so if you can actually acquire all those assets from those companies and all those relationships that they have at a cut rate price, that's something you just can't do uh, in the normal scheme of things without a pandemic on. Right. Oh, yeah. Like re- realistically, where they're looking at, um, uh, you know, the travel aggregation space four or five months ago, probably not. But it's, uh, you know, where, where could we pick up something really game changing, which gives us access to like, because I mean, a lot of these aggregators, obviously, because if, if you step back to what I was saying a minute ago, whereby if the, if the revenue plan is to incorporate more and more things into your into your app or into your wider ecosystem, but why not? you know, go after someone who as part of their offering already does that. So Expedia, Booking.com, like you can get everything through those websites. You know, they're, uh, getting, they're, getting, they're getting the whole end-to-end piece of it already just by acquiring one company. So everything that's, a, you know, I, uh, I haven't gone on Expedia in a while now, but like whether you can book flights, obviously you can book uh, hotels, you can be able to book car rental, all that sort of stuff. The amount of, uh, I suppose, add-on pieces that Revolut would get by going after a space like that. Probably yeah. far more valuable than them trying to do it bit by bit and integrate all those individual parts themselves. Yeah, and and now you're thinking laterally, um, and like Crash Davis said, breathing through your eyelids. So <laughs> I, I'm with you. Yeah, there there's so much downstream connectivity that they would get out of one of those deals uh, to buy one of these companies that would just open up a whole bunch of transaction charges, FX, everything, you name it. Right. And it's just all about that flow. I, I don't, you know, I, like I said, I don't see Expedia kind of being in the, uh, in the, in the target for their acquisitions. No, no. Um, you know, I, I saw today as well, Airbnb, um, they're not a travel av- aggregator, but obviously they're in, uh, they're in this space. They shut down all their marketing in March. They were yeah. spending $800 million a year on marketing. Crazy right? numbers. And that's they they now have they they put the kibosh on that and that they'll restart it in a number of months, um, but it's amazing that you can you could save that much money. I think they're laying off a whole bunch of people as well. Yeah, twenty percent of the workforce. Yeah. So interesting times with that one. Well, it'll be interesting to see because obviously on the on the other side, then in the U.S. you have uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and Elizabeth Warren trying to push a bill through the Senate that will stop large tech companies from doing uh, mergers and acquisitions at the moment. So, because yeah. like the, the obvious thing would be to look at the likes of Apple and say, well, why aren't you picking up companies left, right, and center with your hundred billion on the balance sheet or whatever? But then there's the U.S. are trying to like actively stop that from happening. Now, that might that might impact on the likes of what Revolut are trying to do if some of that is ruled out for U.S. companies. 
I don't know, and I don't know how much success they'll have with that. I actually think it's, it seems it seems a bit unfair in one way because you would argue that it's probably better for some of those companies to have them acquired now. But uh, no, I, I think I, I think it'll be a really interesting one, and I'm surprised there hasn't been more deals struck already. Yeah, I know. It's um, I think everyone's time will come when it when it comes to these deals. There's there's you know consolidation of of tech players um, or not even tech players, but those that are delivering real world services, but completely based on technology um, there, you hit a point where there's very little differentiation between them. Um, and it's just going to make a lot of sense to, to consolidate them. But hopefully the, the barriers won't go up in the U.S. to prevent that from happening because it should happen. One of the other things with Revolut is that on Monday, it announced it had finally started operating as a full bank in Lithuania, uh, where it secured its first banking license in late 2018, probably just to do things like current accounts. Now they're actually able to do lending uh, and those types of things. So, you know, they're going to keep adding on these services. It's going to be really interesting to see, you know, can they provide credit for you to actually go on holiday, right? And have yeah. that type of uh, that type of linkage between the travel ag- aggregators and the uh, and the lending business. Um, Lithuania, I thought was a neighboring country to Germany, um, but it's not. I just looked it's at my nice. map. So geography <laughs> lesson. It's actually next to Poland, which is next to Germany, which was a lead into the next point on N twenty six. Um, so they just raised a hundred million, uh, and that was reported in Finextra today, uh, and they're extending their series D round to 570 million and they're valuing it at 3.5 billion, um, you know, which is just a little couple billion down between friends between Revolut's valuation and N26's valuation. They're joined by all the, all the core investors in this round. Uh, Valor Ventures, who's backed by Peter Thiel, Tencent Holdings, which is interesting to read that. I was never really aware of that. Tencent in uh, one of the Asian financial brands, uh, Behemoths, obviously, um, that they have a piece of N26, which is kind of their European banking play, obviously. Early Bird Ventures, who we know. Um, Insight Partners, a big name. Allianz X, which I think is Allianz's corporate venture fund. GIC in Singapore, who we know as well, Owen, uh, and then Greyhound Partners. All of these are in this N26 raise. Um, now, again, 100 million topping up their Series D, taking it to 570 million. Not that big uh, difference maker on the global scale, right? We just said that RBS spent 100, bil- 100 million on Bo. Um, yeah. You know, N26 took in 100 million to actually, you know, bridge them to their Series E, probably. Um, they've developed quite interestingly because they, they have 5 million users in Europe, racked up 250,000 users in the U.S. after launching last year, and also smartly, in my opinion, and I think in everybody else's opinion, exited the crowded U.K. field with Monzo, Starling, and Revolut all ahead of them. I think they're at the bottom of the list in terms of um, accounts probably uh, above Bo, but below everybody else. <laughs> um, and we know N26 well enough. I met Sarunas Legekas last year. Uh, he's a general manager for Greater Europe, looking after their smaller European markets like Portugal, Ireland. Uh, I had a pint with him at Mulligan's in Dublin. And unfortunately, actually for me, it was just water because I was driving. That's almost like sin to have water in Mulligan's, which is like the best pint of Guinness in Dublin or one of the best pints of Guinness in Dublin. At another time when he's back, I'll have a true pint with him. And, and oh, and you interviewed their former head of partnerships. I looked at that today on LinkedIn. I didn't know that, that he yep. left uh, at the Dublin Tech Summit last year. Uh, yeah, and we had him that. on yeah. episode 43, Dan Calvert. He's now um, MYMY, which startup. is like a ca- yeah. Yeah, startup. It's a catering business or something like that. Hope yeah. he's doing well. Anyway, long intro into 
this thing on N26, you know, given that we don't yet have Monzo or Starling available to us here in Ireland, um, with a shout out to Elaine Dean from Starling, Ireland, let's just focus on N26 versus Revolut. Why would you choose one over the other besides the obvious of FX for Revolut? That's, that's kind of the question. And it comes back to the previous conversation we were having about, you know, the, the 44 Challenger Bank licenses being applied from the UK and stuff like, I mean, how much difference is there between any of them other than, you know, who's got to, who's built up critical mass? Um, like I, I find these announcements kind of strange in one hand, like it sounds great and everyone looks at, everyone focuses on the valuation, but like in reality, most of them are just raising runway because they're still not making enough money yet. So every time there's a raise, it's what, what was this one? Series, series D, D. series yeah. D, and then the next one, you know, there'll be another hundred million plus for the next one or whatever. Um, and obviously, they're all still trying to chase getting into the lending space to be able to actually lend proper money and make bring in proper profit, so that they then don't need to raise another hundred million or another two hundred million. So they're kind of unusual on one hand. Like I said, everyone's focusing on the valuation. I mean, is there much difference between any of them? Um, I'm sure if they were all sitting around a the table, they would tell us differently. But I suppose, you, you know, you hit the nail on the head earlier when we were talking or part of the intro there when you're talking about uh, Starling and Monzo and 26 Revolut. Like they're the four main players, I would say. I would expect the rest will fall off. How much of a difference is there between all of them? I can't say that there's a huge difference. Uh, I don't know what your view on it is, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I've used both. I N twenty six is kind of uh, that's my allowance, right? So that's yep. where I put the money that I have as my own spending money each month. There's a number of bills, and we've talked about this before when we covered the myths of fintech with uh, that Chris Skinner did with Ann Bowden, yep. um, and and that you know there, there's a number of utilities or service providers or accounts that I have, financial accounts that I have that won't accept an IBAN that doesn't start with IE, right? In terms of um, where the money is paid from. So I can't use my N26 account for that because that starts with DE for Germany, right? So until the European market kind of opens up a bit more, I can't use N26 for everything. So Although I'd be comfortable doing that and completely switching over to N26 for everything for my personal account, it's just not feasible just because the rest of the world hasn't caught up yet. Um, I do like the experience of being able to have the things like Apple Pay is fully integrated and yep. the Irish bank that I'm with, it's not. And they don't have a, right. uh, an indicator for when they might ever be ready for Apple Pay, mm-hmm. which is, you know. Uh, again, back to the point of legacy banking infrastructure that we talked about. You know, it, it is and what I, it is. And I use I use Revolut a lot, but a lot in terms of you know, like what I actually find I use Revolut for the most is that in terms of managing the kind of grocery bills and stuff like that, is that I'll top it up, we'll top it up for the week with a certain amount, and then obviously we'll know we'll be able to track what we spent on groceries and stuff like that. Uh, I I download or I, I put myself I set myself up on the trading part of it to, uh, by fractional. Uh, shares because it felt like it was a useful uh, comparison to a company I'm working with at the moment. Gave me a bit of insight into what some of the other companies are doing. Um, Okay. And that was incredibly slick. It took me like two minutes. Uh, And I did like even the terms of reference and all the sort of documents, like they were, you know, they weren't the, you know, I'll scroll through and pretend I read hundreds of pages and find until I get to the tick the bit at the bottom. Um, It was all fairly well explained and I thought it was very slick to be set up and then you know i get to the point do i want to fund my account and i'm like no i just wanted to see how it worked uh, but it was very slick 
know, yeah, very straightforward. So, you know, I think offerings like that, I would say that the more, the, just ultimately, it's the more they can bring into their ecosystem. To me, is is always going to be what'll drive me to switching things over. But again, that piece of if I can't if I can't set it up to pay my direct debit for my electricity or whatever, well then, you know, I'm only ever going to use it for the not important things. Yep. I know, I know. And Revolut, I really only use when I travel to the US. That's all I use it for. N26 gives me that budgeting that you just talked about. It was funny. Yeah. I, I I had to move. I was going to move a bit of money over to Coinbase because um, I'm watching the Bitcoin price like a hawk. <laughs> and so it started from my N26 account on Friday because of the bank holiday in Ireland. But it took until Tuesday for that money to go from N26 to Revolut because Revolut was the only account that I had had linked to my Coinbase account, right? So then I moved it on Tuesday afternoon from Revolut to Coinbase and it was in Coinbase's account in a matter of a half hour. So something's going on there, you know, (laughs) in, in terms of, okay, it went from a German IBAN over to a UK IBAN for Revolut in basically what three calendar days but then it took 30 minutes to get out of the gbi band the uki band of revolut back to uh to estonia which is on the other side of lithuania and germany and so on and so forth geography lesson uh kids don't listen because i got it all wrong um and but but, like you, you would wonder because i mean for someone looking at both of them or you know a couple of the options like like what are you looking for ultimately because, like you said, there are some there are some integrations that aren't there. There are some um, some products or whatever that you want to buy that won't accept it. So, like, um, I'm, I don't see that I'm looking at it in the same way that I'm looking at. Oh, will I open up a Bank of Ireland account? That to me is the fundamental issue here. Is that if I can't do everything that my normal bank can do, like they can do a hell of a lot of, they can do probably everything better. But if if I can't, if they can't get accepted in the same way as my normal bank, well, then I'm not going to move everything across. Yeah, I think when when Starling does actually launch here, and it looks like it's going to be 2021 at this stage, there will be obviously a Starling Bank Ireland IBAN that everyone will be able to use so that I can just hook up all the direct debits there. I've said it before on this podcast, and I'll say it again, I'll happily move everything over to Starling Bank. And that means N26 will go waiting on their product development people to say whether or not that means Revolut could go as well. Uh, but I using TransferWise now even anyway. Jesus, this, this is like the geeks of fintech. Yeah. You know who's got what card? I think I'm going to put that up on the artwork for this episode. Anyway, anything yeah. else jumping out at you this week with uh, with any of these topics that um, you, you thought were interesting? Uh, no, there was a, and I haven't looked into it deeply enough. I was reading Chris Skinner's report on Wirecard, which I thought was interesting in relation to some of the stuff, and it's. I suppose it's interesting specifically because it relates to a lot of this because it obviously drives um, a lot in the background for some of these kind of fintech startups. So Wirecard, uh, and look, like I said, I was reading it, but I haven't really delved enough into it to necessarily uh, give it the detail other than it seems to be a lot of issue around auditing because it's actually what made me think of it there was when you were talking about money going to, uh, you know, from one account into another account in Estonia and stuff like that. But like, uh, Wirecard's clients are Revolut, Atom Bank, Tandem Bank, Tide, you know, and what what the auditors seem to be saying is that they can't track some of the revenue, like over a billion of revenue that they're saying they had, because it all had to do with a thing called round tripping, where money would leave a bank in Wirecard in Germany and go off to a foreign 
country, which looks like it's going to a customer, and it would all of a sudden appear back in another day, back in Wirecard's account. Yeah. This was, all, this was all in the Financial Times there yesterday, I think. So that's interesting. And like, it's interesting because I had dealings with Wirecard before in the past, but actually it's interesting because they drive a lot of the uh, innovation that's behind and a lot of the payments behind a lot of the challengers. Yeah, I saw that too. I looked at it last year because a client of mine had asked me to do a kind of market radar look at some of the different fintechs out there that might be able to sneak up behind them. Um, And one of the ones they actually mentioned was Wirecard. And that was about a week before the news came out and broke last year that FT had investigated uh, what had been going on at Wirecard. And so I excluded them from the the review because they said, listen, these guys are, are running into trouble. I don't know if they're actually going to come out of this. They did come out of it, um, and it looked like things were back to normal for them. And then now this KPMG audit has poked a few more holes in it. Um, yeah, so, the, the funny thing seems to be the Wirecard hired KPMG to prove the FT wrong, and it now looks like that they've made it worse. Yeah, yeah, I'd say, uh, yeah, some heads are going to roll over that one. But, you know, KPMG got to do their job, right? You know, the auditors got to audit, you know, so. What about you? Have you seen anything interesting in the last few days? Well, again, my fanboy status keeps attracting me to Andreessen Horowitz, A16Z, what they're doing. They they topped out their crypto fund at $515 million. Um, I think it was something that gave some insight into how they were going to be uh, deploying that. And I think DeFi or decentralized finance is a big component of that, which is the um, the alternate economy that has really sprung up over the last five, six years uh, in, in the crypto space, which is using uh, cryptocurrency balances for uh, for lending, for all different types of staking, uh, different things that you can do that are far easier to do with crypto than they are to do with fiat currency. So uh, not surprised because if anybody's going to be able to raise that big of a fund specifically for investing in the crypto space, and again, it's not that they're going out to buy Bitcoin, right? They're going out yep. uh, doing the picks and shovels, right? Those that, that are providing the infrastructure for the continued expansion of this alternate economy. Uh, that is moving at a very quick pace. So I thought that was yeah. interesting. And, and I, not to rain on your parade or anything, but I do feel like Andreessen Horowitz could raise 500 million fund to invest in literal picks and shovels. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, I, I've got this great this great icon of, of picks and shovels that um, I use in some presentations for folks. And um, I think I might just swap out that A16Z logo um, and yeah, anything yeah. going forward and put picks and shovels in there because you're right. Tell, tell me this before we wrap up. What are you reading at the moment? I mentioned earlier I've been too tired to read, but I do have a couple of interesting ones that I'm going to work my way through. Are you reading anything good? I am reading something called um, something about a moth. <laughs> 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 You're all right. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay. Uh, where, where am I? Um, creative Capital, no. Um, I think we should keep all this stuff in. <laughs> yeah, no, it would be funny. I'm looking at my kids' book list right now because that's taken over my Kindle because they're now reading that. Um, it's not Harry Potter. It's not Shaping the Fourth Industrial Revolution. It's something about a fucking moth. Um, where is he? The second, The Lonely Planet, Innovator's Dilemma. Second bounce of the ball, Pedro, Flash Boys. Yeah, I'm going right through it. I don't I don't know. 
Oh, and what are you reading? What am I reading? Uh, I'm reading two books. I'm trying to make my way through two books. And I'm both really good, but they're slow reads. Uh, one is Dollars and Cents, which is by Dan Arely. Uh, he's the kind of he's some really popular TED talks um, about behavioral finance, and he's worked with. I think he works currently with with Lemonade or has advised them. Yeah, so he's written a number of books. He's very funny. Like he uh, put in check out his uh, dollars and cents. So it's how people misthink money and how to spend smarter. But he's a uh, like a scientist, so it's fascinating. But he's a really interesting character as well. So you should listen to some of his TED talks because he it's very funny. Awesome. Uh, so that's an interesting one. And then the other one is, hold on, because I have it right beside me. I'll make sure I get the guy's name right. Uh, I spotted this one. It was recommended to me to Amazon. Thank you, Amazon. Uh, it's called Talking to My Daughter, A Brief History of Capitalism. So it's by Yanis Varoufakis, who was the former finance minister for Greece at the time of the oh, yeah. crisis. So he's pretty left-wing. He's like supposedly one of the prominent uh, economists finance ministers in Europe or had been and he's very well respected and it was just, Joe, it's an interesting one because it's a really what he does is he like he's writing or he's effectively writing a conversation to his 15 year old daughter but he's explaining uh, in relatively simple terms about how economics works and why it's the most important drama of our times but he uses a whole lot of things like he uses references to Oedipus, Frankenstein, The Matrix and all these sort of things to just explain different con- uh, concepts so like I, I studied economics as part of my degree all those years ago, but like I don't think I really got it in the sense of you know the practical sense of it. Yeah, I found that one's really interesting. I'll have a look at I'll have a look at both of those. I I I was able to find the name of the book that I am actually reading right now. So Brilliant. it's called Moth, it's called Moth Smoke. It's the first novel okay. by Mohsin Hamid, author of the Reluctant Fundamentalist. So I read okay. the Reluctant Fundamentalist first and. Both books are kind of a look at their fiction, and it's a look at um, culture in Pakistan and those that are still there, those that have left, um, and what the impact of how people are raised there um, is on their looks like their longer term relationships, right? So, you know, um, just taking a bit of a shift away from all the books about VC and startups just to, yeah. to, to, to refuel the creativity. And like we said before, give me more of a lateral wide view and let me to uh, allow me to breathe through my eyelids once again. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, it was great to dive into uh, to, to, to FinTech, to challenger banks and um, books that I just couldn't remember. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Talk, soon. Talk soon. Money never sleeps, pal. That wraps it up, folks. Thanks for listening to us try to figure out why the world does what it does. The links for the stories we covered are in the show notes for this episode on moneyneversleeps.ie, so check us out online. Remember, if you or a colleague need help attracting and retaining great talent for your fintech or financial services company, it is highly advisable that you build a relationship with a team at Top Tier Recruitment as they really know their stuff. You can find them at toptierrecruitment.com. Also, thanks to Conan Brophy from Create Sound for recording and editing this podcast. As for me, I increase the odds of startup success. DM me on Twitter at Pete Townsend NV if you want to know more. You can follow Owen on Twitter at Owen Fitzgerald9. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See ya. Money never sleeps, pal.